Good morning. I'm Mike and I serve on our student life team. As we begin the Advent season this morning, we want to join together as a church in prayer throughout December. You can find the Advent season prayer guide at wheatonbible.org advent. Alongside the individual prayer, we will be gathering on Wednesday nights throughout December in the East Worship Center to pray together and set our hearts and minds on Christ in the wonderful gift of His presence. Join us starting this Wednesday, December 1st at 7 p.m. This week is also the last chance to bring Christmas gifts for the Christmas Store. The Christmas Store is a ministry that offers under-resourced parents in our community the opportunity to stretch their hard-earned dollars to purchase affordable gifts for their children. Gift collection ends next Sunday the 5th, so bring your new unwrapped gifts and place them in the boxes near the entrance of the building. For those of you who prefer to shop online, uh, you can also purchase gifts from the Christmas Store's online wish list, and they'll be shipped directly to the Christmas Store. You can find more information by visiting wheatonbible.org slash gift drive. Another Christmas celebration coming up is our Building a Christmas Memory event for families and kids. Join us and other families to participate in the Christmas sing-along, play group games, hear the story of Jesus' birth, and make a gingerbread nativity. Registration is required and tickets are $25 per family for this week only and will be increasing to $35 after December 5th. You can register online at wheatonbible.org slash kidslife. Finally, we're excited to celebrate the birth of our Savior together as a church. Our Christmas Eve celebrations will be on December 23rd and 24th with a contemporary service on the 23rd at 7 and then two contemporary services on the 24th at 2 and 4 p.m. Our traditional service will be on the 24th at 7 p.m. Childcare is available for all of those services, preschool age and younger. And don't forget to grab an invite card on your way out today and consider inviting a friend or a coworker to one of our Christmas Eve celebrations. That's all we have for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning. Welcome to Advent at Wheaton Bible Church. This morning we step right into our celebration and anticipation of Christ's birth, who has come to rescue us from death and bring us to his glorious light. Let's pray as we start our Advent season. Heavenly Father, during Advent, may we remember the greatest gift ever given, your only Son, Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with joy day by day, as we think of our Savior putting aside his heavenly glory and coming among us. As a newborn, only a stable roof sheltered him, and ordinary impoverished parents cared for him. Your angels couldn't contain themselves, but broke into the quiet night watch of a group of humble shepherds. The heavenly messengers proclaimed the glorious news of the Savior who would pay the price for our sins, the sign of your goodwill to all men, and your desire for peace on earth. As we prepare to celebrate Christmas, grow our understanding this year and our wonder of his birth. By Christmas Day, may our hearts overflow with rejoicing and thanksgiving. Let our gratitude overflow to each person we meet by demonstrating the peace and goodwill in our hearts, not just at this joyful season, but all year round. Thank you for sending your only son to earth for a specific purpose, to provide eternal life to all who accept him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. 
Verses 8 through 11. And in the same region there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This week, as we start our Advent journey together, we want to focus on joy. Words like joy, joyful, rejoice, glad, and gladness appear over 500 times in the Bible. Our God is a joyful God. Our gospel is a message of great joy. The Savior is born, Emmanuel, God with us. He himself is our reason for joy not favorable or happy circumstances, not the abundance of material possessions, nor the absence of adversity or suffering in this life. We are sorrowful yet always rejoicing people because our joy in this broken world is never dependent on anything other than Christ himself and what he has already done for us. He has taken away our sins and has given us eternal life. We are no longer slaves and spiritual orphans, but children of God. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and now we are one with him forever. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. Psalm 1611. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, and to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Jude 1, 24 to 25. We rejoice as we light the first Advent candle and remember that God sent his Son to the world for the sake of our eternal joy in him.
Let's stand.
Good morning, familia. Today, before we pray, I, I wanted to share with you something that you probably know or maybe you don't. But I want you to think for a second in what it takes to bring and uh, actually have this service every week. I want you to think of for a second about uh, the army of people that is working behind the scenes to put these services together. I want you to think about all the people that is behind a camera, all the people that is in tech, all the people that is in backstage, all the people that is getting all the cables ready, all the moms, fathers, married people, single people, students, children that are serving our other children right now. I want you to think about every single member of our worship team that comes in the middle of the week and rehearse for about two to five to 20 hours just to get this service going. I want you to think about everything that is happening behind the scenes that makes this happen. And because we're just coming out of Thanksgiving, I want us to be thankful for every single one of them. Amen? How about if we give them a random applause? God many times is always working behind the scenes. The scenes, right? And you see, it's also working behind the scene, the scenes whenever we have people that sustain this church financially. How many parents, how many married people, how many single people and students continue to support this church financially? And none of us, many, many, many of us, uh, we might not even know who they are, but there's one that knows, and he's God. And he's the one that matters the most. And we are thankful also for the people that sustain this church financially. I'm so thankful for you and the way you sustain this church financially. And I want to invite you to continue to do that because at the end of the day, everything we do is before the audience of one, God and God alone. So please continue to pray for the church. Please continue to sustain the church financially. There's three ways in which you can do that. You could always go to our website, slash give uh, you could always drop off your offering as you exit the building through the doors. You're going to find those boxes there. You could de uh, deposit your offering there. Or you could always, if you're worshiping with us online, you could always send a check uh, to the offices of the church. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that everything we do, Lord, you notice. That even when nobody else notices what we do, Lord, you do. Lord, and it is such a great thing to know, Lord, that everything we do is before the audience of one. And that brings more joy to anything else we do. And I pray, Lord, as the, that as we step into this season of Advent, Lord, we may remember that you are always seen. That you are not indifferent to our condition. That you see everything that we go through, we have gone through, and we will go through that we're never alone, that you're always present, that there's a reason why Jesus came, and it's precisely for us to know that we are never alone, that you are always seen, that you are working always behind the scenes, that you're always doing amazing things. Lord, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the amount of volunteers, ministry partners we have in this church. I'm grateful, Lord, for the amount of people that sustain this church financially, for the amount of people that sustain this church in prayer. 
And I pray, Lord, that as we step into this last quarter of the year, you show yourself to us, you glorify yourself, you magnify yourself, not just through the, three, uh, through the things we do, but how we give. Lord, I also know that during this season, a lot of people experience loneliness and a struggle. And many of us remember the things that have gone wrong this year. And I pray, Lord, that you speak to us and you bring comfort and joy, even in the midst of darkness. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? All right. So I don't know if it's proper for me to say Feliz, uh, Feliz Navidad or Merry Christmas, or I don't know if that's what you're supposed to do in Advent, but just in case, Merry Christmas to you all. Yeah, that was kind of depressing, but it's okay. Next, next, next time, next week we try again. So my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I'm one of the pastors here at church, and whether you're worshiping uh, here with us in person or you're worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you all. Uh, it's very special season because we're starting with Advent. Our Advent season starts today. Uh, so if you're visiting for the first time or you're connecting with us for the first time online, uh, please let us know who you are. We would love to get to know you. We are here to love you and serve you in any way we can. First week of Advent. And I want to answer the question, why is it that Christians celebrate Advent every year? I mean, in this modern world, people might say, well, why celebrate and talk about the same thing over and over again? Why Christians every year talk about the same topics over, all over, 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 over again? And the answer is super simple, because we forget. See, we are so familiar with, with Christmas and Advent that we actually lose the wonder of what it means to celebrate Advent. It's like when you do something over and over again and then it becomes just part of your life, but you lose the wonder. That's kind of what we want to do with this Advent season. We want to invite you to remember, to celebrate, and we also want to explain why is it that this season is so important for Christians. So if you are a believer already, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you that during this season, you remember, you celebrate, and you preach to yourself, why is it that this season is so important? And if you are exploring Christianity, I want to invite you to stick around. I think that I could give you some reasons on why you should believe. I think that I could give you some reasons why is it that Advent is a reminder that what you're looking for in the world, you already have and you can have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So for the next four Sundays, including uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to be reading the same passage. So by the end of these four weeks, you should memorize that passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word. So uh, go into your Bible, open Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, or turn on your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And if you're one of those that don't carry a Bible, it's all right. God forgives. We're going to put it on the screen. All right? If you're ready, could you please say, I'm ready. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. 
But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot is in used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. How about if we read this one together, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. Please use your word regardless of the preacher. Please speak to us that we may understand and embrace the significance of Advent and that we may find the joy that we are so looking for. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, you may take a seat. Okay, do me a favor. Can you ask the person next to you, are you a person of joy? Every week, so funny, right? <laughs> you start answering. So if you answer the question yes, and your spouse knows that that is not true, you, you are in trouble. What I'm going to do, or what we're going to do as preachers for the next few weeks, is we're actually going to make some statements about Christmas. Every week, we're going to bring one statement about Christmas. And today, the, stat- the statement we're having is this. Christmas is both the most offensive and the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. Christmas is both, is both the most offensive and the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. There is no Christmas if you're not offended by it. And there is no Christmas if you don't find it wonderful. That's, that's interesting, right? Let's talk about the first one. Why would I say that Christmas is the most offensive message ever proclaimed. I said chapter 9 is a poem, right? You could say that it's a hymn. And it's part of a larger conversation that God is having with his people, in which God is confronting his people. So the last part of verse 8 paints this picture of what people are experiencing and the reason why God is confronting them. So, for example, chapter 8, verse 21 says that these people are in distress and hungry, that they roam through the land, that they are famished, that they become enraged and are looking upward to curse their king and curse God. 
And in verse 22, they, it says that they look forward to the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It's kind of a depressing passage. It's giving this description of this emotional and spiritual condition. And he's saying that his people that is living in darkness. This is the reason why in chapter 9, the first verse, it says, uh, he uses words like gloom and distress and walking in darkness and living in the land of deep darkness. Every single one of those words is important. It's a, it's a description, once again, of the spiritual condition of people that are being scolded by God. So, for example, the word gloom could be translated as discouraged or delusioned or disillusioned. It's when someone has given up on life. The word distress can also be translated as people of fear or worry about life. What is interesting about the word, uh, that word is that the root of that word also means to be locked up, meaning that this is a group of people that is bound to fear and bound to worry. And when he says, he uses the phrases walking in darkness or living in the land of deep darkness, he's describing a way of life, meaning that the general feeling, the general sensation of what it means to be living a life without God in this broken world it's like walking in darkness, living in a land of deep darkness. It's this sense of emptiness or insufficiency. It says that a life without God is like that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter what you buy on Black Friday. It doesn't matter how much entertainment you have. It doesn't matter how many vacations you take. It's never enough. There's still this sense of emptiness and insufficiency, discourage, dissolution, fear, worry. It's walking in darkness. And this is where the text gets offensive. Because what the Bible is going to say is that there are two main reasons why we experience what we are experiencing, if that's what we experience. Or why people experience the things that the Bible says we experience. Two reasons. Number one, because we brought that upon ourselves, that should be offensive. And number two, that even when we try to fix our problems, we can't. That should be offensive. What the text is going to show us that the reason why we are experiencing gloom, discouragement, dissolution, distress, bound to fear, bound to worry, walking in darkness is because we have brought this upon ourselves and we cannot fix it. So let's talk about the first one. Why would I say that the, we brought this upon ourselves? Well, when you read the context of the text, when you read all the way chapter 8 and chapter 9, you will see that God is confronting his people because they have walked away from him and they have exchanged God for other things. Because they like the blessings of God without God. Because they're looking for satisfaction and security and significance in places, things, and people outside of God. And Isaiah says that the reason why we experience all the things we experience is because of that. Now, it's important that we know that even if we have been victims 
of somebody else's sin in which we are not responsible for that, at the end of the day, we are also responsible if the tendency of your heart is to look for comfort and healing and peace in places, things, and people that are not God. That's the problem when we place our trust, trust in something else. If you place your trust in, in places and things or people, they promise things that they cannot deliver. Isn't that true? See, if we place things, if we put uh, in places things and people um, relief, they could only give you this temporary or momentary relief, but then eventually it goes away. So what is the dynamic in our heart is we just go back and try more and we try harder and we try to experience more and then it becomes part of this uh, vicious cycle in which nothing ever is enough. And we jump from one person to another person to another person. And we jump from one experience to another experience to another experience. And we jump from one place to another place and to, to another place. And what the Bible tells us is that the reason why we experience the things we experience is because we are the problem. We truly are the problem. We are responsible for our emotional and spiritual brokenness. Once again, because the tendency of the human heart is to replace God with places, things, and people, seeking in them what only God can give. You are the problem. I am the problem. Offended yet? You should be. Just a little bit. The second reason why the Bible says that Christmas is kind of offensive is because the reality is that we cannot fix ourselves. I mean, I know that if you're here, you already tried to fix yourself. Somehow, some way, you already tried to fix yourself. But the logic is so simple. If you are the problem, how are you the solution? If you are the struggle, how do you fix yourself? Um, how many of you guys remember the song that Michael Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson wrote 35 years ago? We are the world. You guys remember? By show of hands, just here. How many of you guys remember that song? You guys are so, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, last year, there was a 35-year anniversary of that song, so people were singing it again. You remember some of the key uh, phrases in that song? We are the world. Come on, people. We, no, this is church. Come on. <laughs> we are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's just start giving. This was to help Africa. There's a choice we're making. We are saving our own lives. It's true. We'll make a better day, just you and me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you know that when they were recording that song, Bob Dylan, which I understand later on became a Christian, when he was singing his part of that song, someone noticed that he looked uncomfortable. And in the press conference after the recording, someone asked him, why, why did you look so uncomfortable? And this is what he said. Humankind cannot save itself. 
I, I don't know if he was thinking about Jesus there, but I think that he was right. If we are the problem, how are we the solution? You know what's the irony of all of this? We have more information than ever before. We are more technologically advanced than ever before. Science is more advanced than ever before. We have accomplished more things than ever before. We have discovered more things than ever before, and yet we still haven't found what we're looking for. That's you too, by the way, Bono. We still haven't been able to fix ourselves. Gloom, discouragement, dissolution, distress, bound to fear, and worry continues to be the way of life. We continue to walk in darkness. I would like to argue that this is part of the reason why we are so obsessed with the pursuit of happiness. I would like to argue that this is the reason why, as a culture, we, the tendency is to be obsessed with the pursuit of happiness. The reason why I'm saying that is because in verse 3, we get a hint of what we need. Notice the words joy, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And part of the reason why we have that there, and I'm going to go back to that verse later on, is because we're looking in other places where only God could give. Actually, let me make this argument, and I hope you remember Happiness, I would like to argue, cannot be created, nor it should be pursued. Happiness cannot be created, and I don't think it should be pursued. Happiness or joy is the byproduct of something else. It is a gift that comes along with something else. And yet, our culture tells us that one of the primary things in life is to pursue happiness. That you ought to be happy. Did you know that the number one question that non-believers ask believers is this, where can I find happiness? A study showed that about 47% of people ask that question. We have made of happiness this supreme good. This is the reason why modern people, inside the church and outside the church, spend most of their income in relaxing, vacation, leisure. More than previous generations. Listen, anything wrong with vacation? Of course not. Everything wrong with relaxing? Everything wrong with relaxing? Is there anything wrong with relaxing? Of course not. But there's something wrong when about 12% of our budget goes to relaxing. Don't you think that there's something wrong? Out of every $100, $10 go to some sort of relaxing. Now, listen, I'm all for fun. But I think that there's something wrong there. I wonder why. Let me push the topic a little farther. I want to argue that one of the problems with pursuing happiness the way the culture says is that happiness then is defined by morality. Or, I'm sorry, morality is defined by happiness. 
This is what a scholar said. That which is called, this is the, the description of our, our culture, that which is called good is what produces pleasure, happiness. And that which is called evil is what produces pain. So basically what he's saying is that the spirit of the culture is that if everything is divided, everything is divided by pleasure or pain, happiness or pain. So if it makes you happy, it doesn't matter if it's good. If it makes you happy, it doesn't matter if it goes against God. If it makes you happy, it doesn't matter if it hurts others. If it makes you happy, then it should be good. That's what the culture says. But if it produces pain, then that's, that's supposed to be avoided. Everything that, that uh, produces pain is not good. Therefore, it needs to be avoided. You know what the problem is with that argument? That everything that is beautiful and worth living for is always costly. A mother having a baby is costly. A husband staying faithful is costly. Becoming a great worker is costly. Loving people before things is costly. So if we're going to live this life of the pursuit of happiness, we have issues. Someone described it like this. The obsession with happiness or with the pursuit of happiness is like drinking Coke, eating chips, and chocolate all day long. And it makes you feel good while you're doing it, but later on, later on it makes you feel sick and unhealthy. This is all because of the pursuit of happiness. This is the reason why we can fix ourselves. Did you know that there are studies that show that we are more miserable today, that we have more and accomplish more than ever before? If we are the problem, how are we the solution? What's wrong with the world is you and it's me. And if you are the problem and I'm the problem, how are we supposed to be the solution? Feliz Navidad, people. <laughs> That's why I think that good news, the Christmas is the most of, one of the most offensive messages ever proclaimed. Good thing that Christmas does not stop there, though. Because even though Christmas is one of the most offensive messages ever proclaimed, Christmas is also about the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. When you go back to verse 1, there's one word that changes everything. Keep in mind everything that we just said. And then look at the first word in chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has done. The phrase, nevertheless, changes everything. Yes, we are what is wrong with the world. Yes, we have the tendency to find in places, things, or people, the things that only God could give us. And yes, we are constantly trying to fix ourselves, and we haven't been able to do it. Yes to all of that. But God looks into our condition. He looks at our gloom, discouragement, dissolution, distress, bound to fear and bound to worry, walking in darkness, and he promises something. 
He promises that he can change darkness by his light. He says that he will come to break into our world as light breaks into darkness. To explain what that looks like, let me use this metaphor, if, if I will. Think for a second what would happen if the sun goes out. Just for a second. What happens if our sun just goes out, completely dark? You know, science says that there are three things that would happen in a matter of days. Number one, the whole earth will be at zero degrees by the end of the day. It'll be 100 degrees below zero by the end of the year. And eventually, the entire world will be 400 degrees below zero. Guess what is going to happen to us? That's the first thing that will happen. Second thing that will happen is that photosynthesis will stop immediately. Which means that plants would, will die. Which means that with plants goes our oxygen. Just if the sun goes out, goes out. So either we die because we're frozen or we die because we can't breathe. And number three, vitamin, let's say that you survive. Let's say that you survive the frozenness and you get all the heaters in the world. Let's say that you have oxygen and you develop things like the fish underwater. Let, let's say that you do all of that. But if the sun goes out, vitamin A and vitamin D are out the door because that's where we get most of our vitamins from the sun. Meaning that, that you become so fragile that your bones will break apart with nothing. So either you die because you're frozen, or because you can't breathe, or because you're so weak. But you'll die. That's a description of our spiritual condition without God breaking into our world. That's a description of a spiritual darkness, spiritual suffocation, Spiritual fragility. Spiritual frozenness. I don't know if that's a word, but it makes sense to me. That's what it means to walk in darkness. And this is the crazy thing, crazy thing about Christmas. That God sees that, and he decides to break in. That God sees your condition and my condition, and he chooses to come in. Not because we were crying out for him. Not because we desire him. Not because we wanted him. Actually, the text tells you that you were walking away from him. But it tells you that the reason why God comes and breaks into this world and his light breaks into our darkness is because he wanted to do it. He chose to do it. Listen, I know that there are people in this room right now, there are people that are worshiping with us uh, online right now, that if you're suffering, the tendency is to question whether or not God cares for you. It's to question if God isn't invested enough in you. But I wanna invite you to consider this. If God saw our misery, 
If God saw our journey into personal destruction, and in his benevolent heart, he comes to rescue us, that does not answer the question and why you're suffering. But it tells you, at least it tells you, that it cannot be because he doesn't care. It cannot be that he does not care for you. Because when you were buried in your darkness, his light comes in. Christmas is the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. Because he tells you that this perfect, beautiful, eternal, self-sufficient, and independent God sees the affliction of the very people that rejected him, and he comes to overcome darkness with his light. Remember how I told you that happiness or joy is the byproduct of something else? Remember how I told you that happiness and joy comes along with something else? This is the crazy thing about Jesus, the crazy thing about God. You get him, you get happiness. That's why verse 3 says, you, God, have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. We only get true happiness, true joy when we get him. Happiness is the result of embracing God, the one that came to rescue us. Actually, the text continues to explain why is it that we can experience, we can truly experience happiness or joy. It tells us that when God breaks into our world and his light comes into our darkness, he comes to give us freedom, liberty. For as, the day, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. These are all metaphors for slavery and freedom. God came to break the yoke, to break the bar, to break the rod, to, to, to give us freedom, complete, complete freedom. This is the beauty of Christmas. What our intellect has not been able to do, what politics have not been able to do, what our successes have not been able to do, what accomplishments have not been able to do, what education have not been able to do, what money has not been able to do, what power has not been able to do, God breaks with his light into our darkness and give us freedom. That's joy. So if you're a believer already, please don't let discouragement get a hold of your heart. Even as you struggle with your sin, remember that one of the reasons why we celebrate Advent is because his light broke into our world. His light broke into darkness. Don't let this solution get a hold of your heart, even if you fail. Listen, if God came for you, even when you were not asking for him, what makes you think that he's going to walk away from you? What sin have you committed that God would say, man, that one, that's too much? What sin? And if you are not a believer yet, isn't that what you're looking for? 
Isn't that what you need? There's another reason the text says why we can experience happiness and joy. It's because when he, his light breaks into darkness, he comes to give us victory. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. God comes to give us victory over our enemy, our flesh, the devil, and the world. Christmas is the most wonderful message ever proclaimed because it reminds us that God already won. That God already won. That God already won. There you go. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So if you're a believer, please don't let fear or worry get a hold of your heart. Yeah, it is complicated. This is life. But God already won. And if you're not a believer, isn't that what you're looking for? Question. How do we know that all of this is true? How do we know? What proof do we have? Well, Isaiah says in chapter, six, in chapter 9, verse 6, right at the beginning, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. Let me make a crazy statement here for a second, but I want to say it before I forget it. You and I, we are not the center of the universe. I hope you know that. I know that. But God made you and made me the center of his heart. You know how I know that? Because he says that for two us, a child was born. To us, a son is given. You are not a random creation without significance and importance. The whole universe, everything that God created, and his son Jesus becoming the proof that everything that this, uh, that this prophet says is true, was for you. Why do we need to look for people's approval? Why do we need for somebody else's attention? You already have the attention of the almighty God. Hallelujah. It is because of you that Jesus comes. You are at the center of Jesus' heart. You are at the center of God's heart. No one else can love you that way. You know how I know that everything that we talked about here is true? It is true in Jesus Christ because Jesus, he says in John 8, that he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but, I will, but will have light of life. He is our son. He is the one that comes to deal with our spiritual suffocation, with our spiritual fragility, with our spiritual destruction. See, we know that this, this passage is about Jesus because Jesus is the joy that, we, that was mentioned in verse 3. It says that Jesus come to turn our sorrows into joy. That's the beauty of Advent. It reminds you that the joy and the happiness that we have in Jesus is not bound to circumstances as you heard before. It's not bound to your successes. 
He's not bound, that, he's not bound to anything that goes well. This joy, this happiness is so profound, so transcendent, that even in the midst of pain, you can say, I have joy. See, we know that this is all true because Jesus is the one that came to give us freedom. The freedom mentioned in verse 4. John 8 says that Jesus came to give us the truth, and that truth will set you free. You know what it means to be free? That all this stuff that you have been carrying for a while, guilt, shame, desperation, dissolution, fear, and worry can be taken away from you. Does that mean that you will never experience those again? Of course not. You are going to experience it. You still live here. But you are not defined nor controlled by any of that. Did you know that Jesus is the one that won over our enemies at the cross, as verse 5 says? That's what the phrase, the government will be on his shoulder. He came to destroy not just the devil, but everything else that makes our lives miserable. This is the reason why Jesus at the cross says, it is finished. Jesus at the cross, he says from the cross, what, you, what needed to be done, I already did. It is finished. The penalty, the penalty that needed to be paid, I already paid. It is finished. The darkness that needed to be swallowed, I already swallowed. That's why the sky turned dark when Jesus was at the cross. It is finished. And Jesus is the one that proves that God does care. Let me, let me finish with this uh, quote. Um, by Dorothy Sayers. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone uh, through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. I really don't know why is it that many times God allows suffering or God brings suffering? But I could tell you this. He cannot be because he doesn't care. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we celebrate Advent. You are not the center of the universe. I am not the center of the universe. But we are the center of his heart. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Merry Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that the reality of our struggles, that the reality that we cannot fix ourselves is precisely what we need to hear. It is when we embrace that, it is when we see that, that then the gospel makes sense. 
It is when we see that, it is when we embrace that, that when we can actually rejoice in the good news of Jesus coming into our world. A child that was born, a child that was given. I pray, Lord, for us as we go through this season of Advent that we may not lose the wonder of what it means to be loved by the God that made us the center of his heart. Please make this real. Lord, and I pray for those who have not placed their faith in, Jesus, in, in you just yet. And I pray, Lord, that during this season, you reveal yourself to them in such a way that they have no doubt that you are what they're looking for. And that in you, there's real, genuine, transcendent, and permanent happiness and joy. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says... I sense our hearts have been stirred this morning from that message, don't you think? Amen. Amen. Well, 2,000 years ago, there was a fellow named John the Baptist who had that message, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 1,500 years ago, that message was translated into a hymn that was sung in Latin for 1,000 years. 500 years ago, it was translated into English, in fact, numerous translations of English. And today we sing it at Wheaton Bible Church. The quartet is going to lead, and you just follow the, the words on the screen today. We'll sing it sometime together. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is near, it seems to say. Amen? is near it seems to say cast away the dreams of darkness oh you children of the day wakened by the solemn warning let the earthbound soul arise Christ her son all dispelling shines upon the morning skies oh the lamp so long expected let us hide and down from hell let us haste with tears and sorrow one and all to be forgiven that when next he comes with glory and the shield us and with words of love draw
familia, before we finish, um, I'm going to ask you to please stand. I have a couple of announcements for you. Number one is I want to remind you that every week we love to pray for you. We are a church that believes in the power of prayer. Amen? Amen? By the way, Advent season is supposed to be a little bit more animated than what I'm experiencing this morning. <laughs> is, the tur- is it a turkey? It's okay. You know, next week we'll be okay. Um, so I want to invite you to do two things. We want the entire church to be praying together. So if you look in front of you or somewhere in the seat, you're going to find a QR code. You can scan that and you will receive prayers for every day during this Advent season. If you haven't done that, please do that. One. Two, we are going to be praying on Wednesday nights in the East Worship from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. It's going to be straight to the point. You come, we sit down, we get up, we kneel, we pray all night long. We want, this is the reason why we want to do that. Number one, we believe that when we pray, God changes us. Amen? And that when we pray, God changes things. During this season, we want to pray believing that he wants to change us and that he wants to change things. With that in mind, let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, we love you. Thanks for coming. Have a blessed day. You are sent.